And we're back. No putts given. How you living, everybody? Tony Covey, Chris Nickel, Golf Spy T, Golf Spy C. It's been a week or so, but we're back, Tony. Are you ready for this quiz question? Oh, boy. We're doing this three, again? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Three Musketeers used to come in three flavors, hence the name Three Musketeers. What were they? Why would I know that? There's no good reason, but it was chocolate, vanilla, and strawberry, as you might wow. imagine. But World War II put uh, World War II rations put an end to that, and there you go. So, so now we just get like what this do you know? nougat Big. thing. Okay. Now we just <clears throat> get the the nougat part, but golf and candy, big stuff going on. Pebble Beach, Pebble Beach, in prime time. There's a congressional hearing that's going on as we're recording. Right now on the PIF, Saudi, PJ Tour, merger, thingy, whatever you want to call it. The, uh, got, got Twitter up right now. It seems like it's kind of a, a performative shit show, so to speak. So You don't say. <laughs> you don't say. <laughs> shocking. Shocking, but true. So we'll uh, talk about that a little bit as well. But, Tony, did you watch PG? Uh, I'm sorry. Did you watch any golf this last weekend? Specifically, the ladies. Just, I mean, just like, again, my typical five minutes here and there. You know how I do. I know. I thought What's maybe that? with it being on the West Coast in prime time, you might be settling down in the evening with a nice cold seltzer or something and watching some golf. No, I did not. Probably had a, <laughs> I, probably, I probably did have a, a nice ice cold seltzer at some point, but I did not watch much golf. I, uh, Low key I loved it. I loved it. I thought a couple interesting points. I mean, one, the ladies seemed more thankful, maybe. To appreciative. Appreciative. I like that word. Um, we hear all the time, you know, maybe some complaints on courses, things that don't necessarily resonate. And uh, it felt a lot like the ladies like, man, this is awesome. This is so cool to be here. It's so awesome to get to host a major here. It's an iconic plot of land. Obviously, it's a bucket list course for many golfers. Have you ever played it? Have you ever played Pebble? No, no. I mean, Me the neither. price is batshit crazy. It's ridiculous right now. So Yeah, I know. But And if you can get it, fine, and, and good for those who want to play it. But for the money, I'd... You know, dollar for dollar, I'd rather spend that money at Bandon Dunes or, or somewhere like that. Yeah, I mean, that's... that's just me. That's fair. But a couple things that happened there that I thought that were interesting. Number one, Michelle Wee, see you later. Her last uh, professional tournament, she was out with a bang, made a long putt on her last hole. She missed the cut. But, I mean, it was cool to see her last event. I, I You'd think based on how long she's been in the media and news and stuff, she'd be... 65 years old or something like that but you forget how you know just how young teenagers she, right <clears throat> yeah and almost i mean damn near made the cut on a pga tour event right sony open i believe and she i mean it, it's kind of interesting they're debating kind of her legacy you know i think she won five or so times on the lpga tour one major five wins from that standpoint Probably fair to argue she underperformed in terms of tournament victories and things. I mean, she was a phenom. She was yeah. I mean, you're not the wrong. next it's, one. 
it's almost not fair, but if you look at the numbers, right, five tournament wins, one major. Um, to draw a parallel with the men's game, it's it's one tour victory, one fewer than Lucas Glover, who has, you know, four wins, including a major. So it's not a direct yeah. comp, and I'm sure some stat guy could go out and find a better comp, but it, it's right. not far off, and you wouldn't think of Lucas Glover as one of the greats of his generation. And I think uh, no. on the LPGA, in terms of actual performance on, cor- on course, Michelle Wee, not one of the greats of her generation. If, if you didn't enjoy watching her, particularly when she played with Christina Kim, like yeah, if you can get on board cool. with that, I mean, just absolutely amazing and, and fun to watch. But yep. above and beyond that, tour career, a bit of a disappointment. But I, I think you have to temper that with the fact that the real the expectations were unrealistic. And I, I don't know. Probably impossibly unrealistic. Right. right? If, I mean... For those who were around at the time, and, and kind of following her as as the phenom, the expectations, especially when she signed the Nike deal, the yeah. expectations at that time were no less than the female Tiger Woods. Like nope. that was the legitimate expectation. That's what people really mm-hmm. thought was going to be Michelle Wee's career. And I don't care. It, yeah, I don't I mean, care what that word is between the and Tiger Woods. <laughs> but it's just just almost no way to next. live up to that kind of expectation. So. <laughs> In that respect, it, it wasn't fair, right? Solid career, but but certainly not. not yeah, I mean, I think world. she. I think what's interesting, right, is in this world of professional golf, we talk about winning matters, winning tournaments, that matters, that pays the bills, all these kind of things. But her legacy, to me, really won't be about wins and losses because, yeah, they said probably underperformed in that regard. But she did a lot of things that moved the game forward it's it's yeah the legacy and i think it's you know it's still growing but the legacy will be ultimately as a tremendous ambassador for the game in particular the women's game so mm-hmm. and I, again i think you know she's retired but she's not done with golf i don't know so i think i think the best is is probably still yet to come in terms of, of what michelle ultimately means to the to the game and the women's game but strictly by the numbers it was an okay career and and we can talk, right? She had injuries for sure, and parental right. interference no is certainly part of the story, and some swing changes. And you know, looking, mm-hmm. I read some stuff yesterday. People talking about David Ledbetter is notorious for ruining more swings than he fixes. And <laughs> yeah, I can't speak to that from the instructional standpoint, whether or not it's true but, or not. But it's it's a consideration, right? So there's all these things that that ultimately yeah. influence the trajectory of the career. But but where it landed was mediocrity i think in terms of on course and here's a little twist we were talking about this uh before the show too people that are all so concerned about the golf ball going too far which it doesn't pending new rules model local rules and things that we may hear more about here in a month or two depending on roll uh, it back roll it all back. back roll it back roll it back blah 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 we're all concerned about courses becoming obsolete, da-da-da-da-da. Something hit me, and, and it was just like, we have only looked at that through the eyes of PJ Tour, male golfers. Corn Ferry, of, right? Corn Ferry, yeah. and the longest of those players. Why have we not stopped to say, you know what? These iconic venues, let's use Pebble Beach as an example. We could probably talk about... Marion and a number of others where people are saying, hey, maybe the courses are getting a little too small. 
okay, even if we concede that fact, let's go ahead and concede that for the time being. I won't, but go ahead. Why are we not suggesting that you've just opened up all these new opportunities to the LPGA? Well, I mean, and that's the opportunity. It's there. So how? why are we talking about these obsoleting courses as though they're done, they're gone, they're no longer good for any tournament golf, blah, 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 when the point of fact is maybe it's a perfect fit for LPGA where average ball speed or even, I mean, some of the longer hitters are maybe cracking 160 miles an hour ball speed. They're carrying the ball 230, 240, 250. Why not? I, I think it probably hasn't been discussed too much because, look, I firmly believe the USGA had made up his, its mind before it really took a hard look and, and certainly talked to anybody. When you talk about being to the <laughs> point where we are in the rollback conversation and to find out, yeah, they before they put out that last document, right, Mm-hmm. the last announcement, the the last round of, yeah, here's kind of what we're thinking. They hadn't talked to PGA tour pros. Like they excluded <laughs> right. the best players in the world. The, <laughs> right. the, the same players they feel are obsoleting, obsoleting courses were excluded from that conversation, which you, makes you take that sense. and then move to the LPGA game where if you've already decided, yes, the ball goes too far, we have to do something. Mm-hmm. Looking at LPGA distances, it does not fit the narrative in any way, shape or form. There's nope. Now, even the longest hitters on the LPGA tour, and I do believe there's probably one or two that are up over 300, are not obsoleting anything. They're not. You've said it before. No. You know, the, the game, the LPGA game, is probably closer to what you and I play in terms of distance, in terms, terms of actual of skill. skill level. We're not nowhere. in terms of skill. Yeah, we are distance not in that conversation. Yeah, I, I played. <laughs> I, I played four holes with Lydia Coe once, and I can tell every scratch golfer out there who thinks he has a chance. You don't. It's just, I mean, and that's, no. you know, casual who gives an F practice round, and it's right. yeah, it was, matter of no. fact, stunningly beautiful. It, yeah, forget about it. So, yeah. again, it just doesn't fit the narrative. They're not obsoleting anything. The, the women on the they LPGA Tour are not. You know, they're going to they play St. They'll be able to play St. Andrews if the opportunity is presented. Pebble Beach was not obsoleted. Pick a course. No. And it's safe for foreseeable uh, future, if not all of eternity. And it's really, really good, compelling golf. I loved watching the ladies play Pebble. I would watch them play Marriott. I'd watch them play a lot of different courses. But uh, maybe that's an opportunity to grow the LPGA a little bit in that regard. So what else is going on? Congressional hearing, like we said, we're recording this as it's going on. This will post the day after. So we don't really know. There's things, again, continue to happen. PJ Tour board member, longtime board member, Randall Stevenson resigned. Wasn't just any old board member. He'd been there over a decade, maybe 12 years, something like that. Former executive with AT&T. So it's not like he was just some guy sitting on the board. But basically, he had uh, what amounts to moral objections over any type of merger deal, a body such as that uh, governmental agency with PIF being involved in American sports and, and saying that, you know, object to it, uh, je- you know, objected to it strenuously and couldn't really support it going fo- you know, forward. And then, you know, if you pull up Twitter right now, good Lord, uh, it sounds like this congressional hearing pass. is, <laughs> yeah, is uh, I mean, what do you make of of all of this? Is the is 
it really just performative? Is this really just something to give Congress a chance to yell and scream about things that are unrelated? Like Senator Hawley's apparently talking about PJ Tour Canada or PJ Tour China, which hasn't existed since 2019. Well, you and can't expect these guys it, to know like, things. I mean, we're, there's a long documented history of, as you said, performative congressional hearings where it's not the goal is not to the, get to the root of anything, right? It's just kind of however many days of look at me, look at me, look at me. So I don't know if anything will come of it. I do know there is certainly strong objections to the Saudi component. And I'm, I'm typically not a big fan of slippery slope arguments. The idea that, well, if we let the Saudis into golf, then what, then what, then what? Mm-hmm. It's all downhill from there. And then before you know it, America doesn't own anything in America. Um, right. So that, I mean, that that's a giant leap. But if you look at what's happening elsewhere in the world where... You know, there is Saudi money in soccer, for example, and, and you're F1. seeing how that's influencing the game. You've seen F1. I mean, I mean, granted, Qataris are not Saudis, but you know, similar approach of, of buying a World Cup, which the Saudis are intent on doing right now. Um, mm-hmm. And so you are seeing a, a sort of a, a takeover of sorts, incremental, right? It's no guarantee that it's it's going to gain momentum and roll downhill at, at a speed that cannot be stopped. But you do have to look at this and go, Hey, you know, do we, do we want to put limits on this kind of thing? And, and whether it's the Saudis owning an entire league or if it came right down to it, right. The, and that's the thing it's, it's call it, you know, the, the investment fund, that is the Saudi government. So it, it's one thing. It's not, we're not even talking one about in the same. Saudi private, one in the private same. citizens. Right. We are talking right. about, a foreign government, regardless of the political implications and, you know, 9-11 and yeah. the, the way they basically treat uh, anybody they don't agree with, it, it's fundamental question is, is how much ownership do we want of things that are foreign sh- typically in, been yeah. America, right? And again, different between right. foreign investment and foreign government ownership. And so sure. there is a decision to be made like, hey, do we want how much of Americana whatever you want to call it, the bits and pieces that, that make up our sports and our, right. our corporations and all that stuff. How much of that are we comfortable with a foreign going, foreign government essentially owning? So I think okay. that's a reasonable question. Uh, but I think it's it's probably just going to be noise in Congress and, and who knows what will yeah. come of it. I don't think we'll, anybody does. No, we'll take a look at it, obviously, after the hearing is done and go through the uh, information, what's presented, what isn't. But Somebody just posted here that uh, uh, Jimmy Dunn, one of the orchestrators of this framework agreement, basically stated uh, it's really you know hard or impossible to dislike somebody that you play golf with. Oh, that's I disagree. Uh, that's, <laughs> that's, that's patently false. <laughs> um, anyway, well, yeah, we'll take a deeper look as we get more information here, but I don't think anything substantial is going to come out of this other than some, you know, potentially really good fodder for Saturday Night Live skits and who knows what else. So moving on from there, my choice for a segment today, Tony, is I got to get spin out of my driver. You wrote an article on this uh, last week. It's a question we get all the time. So I wanted to dive into it a little bit. I know lower spin isn't always better. We hear about optimal spin. Well, is the best. So, but a lot of amateurs fight too much spin in a driver. So if I want to get spin out of my driver, how am I going to do it? Give me some tips. Give me some help, Tony. Yeah, outside the scope of the article, I just kind of breezed over it and said, you know, 
Uh, I would I would start by taking a golf lesson and addressing the the kind of the root cause. You know, sure. And, and chances are it's probably something in your delivery. If you're like me, you're just adding a ton of dynamic loft at impact, and so it gets very mm -hmm. hard to to keep spin under control. But uh, above and beyond that, some simple things like hey, well, try less loft. Uh, <laughs> that's pretty okay. simple. So and again, as, there are ramifications. Yeah. It can work, and it could also create some problems if now you're at the point where I'm you're launching too low. Or we don't want to get too much into the technicalities of spin loft and things like that. But with the reduced loft, you're now curving the ball more than you want to. And you've introduced an accuracy problem on top of the spin problem. So that was, you know, kind of the big picture thinking of the article is there are a lot of causes, mm -hmm. many causes. There are mm -hmm. several potential fixes depending on the cause. And, and maybe you need to stack a few of them together to, to ultimately get to where you need to be. So decreasing loft, simple say moving the center of gravity forward, whether that's with a flip weight, just moving the, you know, a heavy weight from the back to the front, whether yep. that's changing drivers and getting something that has that, that more forward center of gravity, like a, like a stealth two plus or TSR four, maybe TSR three paradigm X aerojet LS. LS. Yeah. yeah. Anything. Most that of the low spin models, right. Is that, I mean, is right. that a fair thing that in that's our that's testing how you to... get to the low spin is, is that you move that center of gravity forward. And so if your right. objective is to get lower spin, that's one potential way to do it. There's mm -hmm. um, sort of a corollary. Talking? Yeah, like in some of the... On a, I mean, on a flip know... weight. So, I mean, we typically say a degree is 300, give or 250 take 250 to 300 RPM, yeah. yeah. Give or take, right? It's different for everybody in each driver. Yep. But, yep. Um, but a couple kind of hundred. The, kind of the... <laughs> This one tripped people up and, you know, people in comments who leave nasty comments don't tend to want to think things through. Uh, but again, Ever. getting to this idea of what is the root cause? Well, if if the root cause is that I have a lot of spin because I start the ball out to the right mm -hmm. with an open face, well, close the face. Whether that's <laughs> <laughs> so and that that's typically this is this Fair is the enough. part that trips. This is what trips people up. <laughs> typically, to close the face, you have to add law. And so you're like, well, I'm, if I add loft, I add spin. I'm like, yeah, maybe. Possibly. But if if all you're doing is if you're adding that loft as a means to correct side spin, even with that additional loft, if you're squaring the face or even delivering it slightly closed, you're going to see spin drop, even though it's sort of counterintuitive with the idea of uh, reducing loft. It can right. work. And that's, again, speaking mm -hmm. to the idea of there are different causes and different causes mm -hmm. With that, you require a different solution. Yep. What do you think? I mean, other simple solutions. We talked about this before. Is don't discount the golf ball, right? I mean, I, I like hate to... it as like a, a tool to lower spin, but it can work. Yes, it's not my favorite. It can, but it can work. work. I no, and and again, I think you and I are both fans of kind of fitting your equipment to the ball that otherwise performs optimally for you throughout the bag, around the green, irons, getting that dialed in, and then. Yeah, we can tweak equipment to to fit that. I wouldn't necessarily just go, hey, I need 400 less RPM off my driver. What's the lowest spin ball I can find? That probably introduces a number of other factors that, you know, I mean, you might cause three other problems while maybe possibly solving part of one. Um, so I'm not. Yeah, because to an extent that, that will, either, if, but... you, if you use the ball to cut spin off your driver, well, you've, you've definitely caught uh, reduced spin on your long irons very likely off your mid irons and now you're impacting every other aspect of your game. 
very often mm-hmm. that same softball that gives you the low spin off the driver is going to spin less around the green. So yep. checks and balances, consequences, whatever you want to call it, there are implications yep. that come from from relying on the golf ball. And we'll get to more of this in the after show because we're going to talk some things ball testing because we are headed out to Phoenix, out to Scottsdale next week for our week-long ball testing extravaganza. Again, stick around for the after show if you want to get more into performance testing, what we're doing, why we're doing it, what we're excited about uh, and and looking forward to there. But just this week, Tony, another Wedgeworks release. This one caught me by surprise a little bit. I when I when I saw the article pop up, when he said about it, I'm like, my first thought was, well, I thought they already had that. Yeah, that <laughs> like was, I, I was like, what is I was it? Like, I, wait a minute. I was reading, I'm reading through <laughs> trying to figure out, like, all right, is there a special finish? Do they bring back slate blue on this? What's going on? And I'm like, right. Oh no. Right. Somehow nope. the 54 M grind does not exist in the retail lineup. <laughs> I, and I just, again, yeah, like, yeah. I guess if you're intimately familiar, like I consider myself reasonably familiar with it. And I would have made the assumption that that exists because the 56 degree option exists. So right. why not? So, yeah. So I guess my question is, is why this one? And, and again, kind of that why now? Why is this a, a significant release? And the, the fact it's going into Wedgeworks, those components, what... What should consumers know about this and why might this be a club for them? If this is, you know, if we describe a certain player, they might go, oh, yep, that's me. Give me one of those. Yeah, it's it's interesting because, again, the assumption was it's already there. And the reason I say that is as as iron loss have gotten stronger, not surprising mm-hmm. to anybody, you know this, the, mm-hmm. the, the typical progression of a 52, a 56, and a 60 has slowly begun to fall out of favor, I think, Vokey now settled more 50 than it does 52s. And, and so now you've gone more to that 50, 54, 58 progression. And so 54 mm-hmm. is kind of that, the, the sand wedge loft. And so logically, if you make a wedge in 56 degrees, you should probably make it in 54. Because again, that's that's your textbook sandwich, sand wedge loss right now. If it's not one, it's the other for most sure. golfers. And sure. so I think why now is one, Anytime you're, you're seeing more and more of this, it is kind of the trend of finding little ways to refresh a lineup mid-cycle, thinking sure. towards the end of a cycle, whatever it happens to be. And so, hey, let's let's put something new that is we'll call it Wedgeworks, right? It's limited edition through Wedgeworks, but it's mm-hmm. it's SM9 technology. Yeah, right. And so right. you've got something that is arguably a hole in the lineup, right? You have Bob Vokey's favorite grind, and, and grind. It's, it's not available in a sand what one of the sand very popular yeah yeah so i was like "Mm, that's that's kind of weird as far as as who it's for it's it's classified as a mid bounce wedge Mm -hmm. it's uh the the design features are heel and toe relief along with trailing edge relief and i mentioned this in the article yeah that that sounds like t grind and v grind and d grind right they're all kind of fruit from the same tree with subtle differences in bounce and and how that how that leading edge ultimately sits towards the ground. And so it, this one kind of is like, it, it's it's just a lower bounce degrind is probably the very simple way it's of explaining it. It's not a bad way it. to so think about it. Yeah. Yeah. So in terms of swing type, it's your, your kind of neutral to steep, probably favors a little bit more neutral, firmer sand as opposed to big fluffy bunkers. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, somewhere kind of, I would it's say so typically like not, not, 
not super wet, not super dry fairways, really kind of that. And again, it speaks to why isn't this thing in the lineup when it really most is kind of this. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, most of the time, right, people play in those conditions. I mean, we say average is average for a reason. Most golfers are, by definition, average because that's kind of how the math works out. So a lot of golfers are neither super steep nor really shallow or playing really fluffy sand or very firm compacted sand or playing really wet or super dry conditions. And M grind is a very, very versatile grind when you're not dealing with those extremes. Right. And so, yeah, that points to the fact like, well, that's maybe why I assumed it was already in the lineup. And it makes sense as again, being a middle of the road option to an extent. It's one of those things where if, if you're trying to guess, and we'll talk about lob wedge because it's probably the most glaring opportunity or example. If you're trying to guess what you need and it turns out you're a high bounce guy and you didn't mm-hmm. know about wedge fitting and so you guessed and bought an L or a T grind, <laughs> that's going to be big trouble. <laughs> Whereas if you go life. with something yeah. like a, if you're that same high bounce player, yeah, maybe, maybe you're better if you want that heel toe trailing edge relief. Maybe you're better off with the D grind, probably better off with the D grind. You're not. It's not going to kill you to be in an M grind. It, it's certainly a lesser mistake than than guessing with a and being wrong with low bounce. So it's it's one of those things where if, if you don't know where to go, the mm-hmm. middle is at least it's a safe space. It's a safe and, space. It's a yeah. versatile wedge. You can hit a lot of shots with it. I think that's part M of for the middle. reason it's popular. M about. for middle. So it's in there now. Interesting. I raw uh, only. Raw only. Somebody's going to ask this question, so we'll answer it really quickly. Why can't I just take a 56 and bend it two degrees strong? You can, but here's why I want it. Here's why I want it. Because two things. One, and we saw this when we were at uh, at Tidal, since, you know, when they bend for loft and lie, they have, you know, specific tools and implements for the different grinds on the wedges. So when they're bending an M grind or when they're checking loft and lie on an M grind, it's sitting in a little like M grind holster, <laughs> if you cradle. will, a cradle little cradle of M grind and D grind goes in a different one, whatever. The other thing is that grind's meant to work at 54 degrees or 56 degrees. If 54, 54 and 10, right? So that's. Yes. So if I take a 5608, let's say it's 56 and 8 degrees and I bend it to. Now I only got six degrees on it. So I've taken a middle of the road one and made it more of a low bounce option. So again, if you are that person that catches it a little bit heavy or doesn't have pretty good hands or more of a shallow angle of attack, you may have just taken a perfectly good 56 degree wedge and turned it into something that's going to dig way too much. And you're thinking, ah, I only adjusted it two degrees. That can be a big deal. Absolutely. So we'll answer that Sepp Straka, real quick, my man Sepp, we got to mention him because he is a Diet Coke aficionado. He uh, has a special place in my heart, wears square shoes, um, and those are the things in his bag that I care about the most, the Diet Coke and the shoes. However. No boa on the squares, though. You got to talk to somebody about that. to talk to somebody about that. But people, they look at Sepp and they go, oh, he's a Cleveland Strixon guy. He is. But I'm just running you through his bag real quick, Tony, and I just want you to tell me anything that jumps out, sticks out, or is potentially interesting to you. He's TaylorMade Stealth Driver 3-Wood, Callaway Utility 
wood and kind of that higher lofted five wood, seven wood kind of space. Strix on irons, uh, Mark II, the seven, not the five, not the blades, the seven. Cleveland wedges, Odyssey putter. Every, a, everybody wins with an Odyssey now. Everybody wins with That's, an Odyssey. I mean, We've it seems that. to be and, step uh, one on tour right now. What a run. Jeez. Seriously. Seriously, it's becoming, yeah, potentially the uh, the stock putter of the PGA Tour, at least amongst winners. Um, and Z-Star Ball. Strix on Z-Star Ball. So anything jump out to you there worth noting or mentioning? For me, it's that, that Callaway UW. If for only reason, like it's, again, I like that. I'm fascinated, as we've discussed, by that spot in the bag, right? What I call that transitional zone where you've got, You've got one or two problems, opportunities, whatever you want to call it, and so many mm-hmm. different ways to tackle it. Now, I, uh, hey, I haven't tried a UW. That would be, you know, I would love to check one out. Newton, um, if you're listening. Mr. Jeff Newton. Finley, <laughs> we'll try everybody. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's a curiosity. So stuff like that, anytime you have sort of like this, I don't want to call it a weird club, but certainly one of these niche things. I mean, it was, you know, Callaway UW yeah. was never the best-selling club on the market, never meant to be, no expectation. But right. yeah, I see something like that. And again, kind of an oddball in that space. So I love that kind of stuff. Yeah, I think that, and you already mentioned my other takeaway, Odyssey, uh, killing it. I mean, which putter, putter was it? it? Wasn't the same one, was it? Please. No, it would, no, no, no. Okay. We're past, we're past Jailbird. We're, okay. we're, uh, we're beyond, <laughs> we're beyond that streak here currently. But I mean, yeah, man alive. Uh, quite a run that they've been on testament to those guys and their team and, yeah, I mean, it's like a steamroller. Just get out of the way or get consumed by it, I guess. Um, but, I mean, our testing shows that as well. Um, Odyssey makes phenomenal putters and, and has for a long time. And perform. I mean, you can't argue performance. We've talked about it all the time. You, you just, you can't fake it, right? You can't market it. Uh, you can't, I mean, it it is what it is. And so, yeah, I, way to go. <laughs> way to go speed golf tony run okay. through a forest run through a forest all right question number one we had a player get dq'd the u.s women's open and on corn Ferry. and on corn Ferry. and the transgression Ridiculous. of all transgressions they used a rangefinder so is it time we just put an end to this tony rangefinders yeah. on tour yes or no Yes, I mean it's it's become a ubiquitous piece of equipment. Uh, most of the golfers you know carry one, play one. They play in tournaments with them. And, and Does we, it hit we're any so shots obsessed. For you? No, no, and we're we're so concerned about pace of play and how long it takes. And understand we, on on a tour, we've seen this right. Getting the yardage is the first part of a conversation, right? There's still a whole series of adjustments and, and picking out targets and things mm-hmm. like that. So, you know, it, it's not like okay, one forty seven done. But let's nope. speed up the conversation on tour and let everybody else just go 147. Cool. That's what I'm hitting. Let the tour guys have their do all their calculus and whatnot to figure out what they're actually going to do. But let's let's speed it yep. up. It's it's I don't think it takes skill out of the game. You no. Know, and you've already here's another point. I'm actually going to I'm caddying again this week on Corn Ferry Tour. We got the event at our my home course here. So I get to throw on the bib and do some hard labor and. Guess what you can use in all the practice rounds? Rangefinders. So you can get all the information, those kind of pieces, things that you need. I don't see the downside. I don't see the problem. Like you said, it's one 
piece of a more complex conversation, especially when you're playing at altitude for a lot of these guys. It's, you know, other than Mexico, it's kind of a one week thing. Yeah. They have an event in Utah, but they're doing a lot of adjustments and, and things. So yeah, getting a stock number or an actual distance is maybe one of seven or eight things you're going to discuss before they hit the shot. So Ludicrous. anyway, Ludicrous. golf balls get dirty, Tony, as a caddy this week, I got to make sure my player that his golf ball, right. How he likes it. Clean. Nice. I use a towel in water, <laughs> but I've heard other people are using things. So give me one thing I should use to clean my golf ball and give me at least one thing I should not use. Yeah. Towel and water. That's good. I mean, honestly, it's one of those things where a typical guy is probably losing three balls around, give or take. And, you know, on a good yeah. day, I'll get two and a half before I lose one or damage it <laughs> on, on my best weeks. And so, you know, for, for the kind of, of, dirt you collect over the course of a standard round then you know i think a towel and water is fine ball washer works great little sudsy i have like a little ball pocket attached to my bag where you kind of stick it in there and rub it around Uh, called ball bright i'm not even sure if it's still around had it for like 12 years works pretty well so those are simple ways i think when you get into like oh how do i really clean my balls it's for the guys who are shagging them out of mud and pulling them out of the ground and they're kind of stained and stuff so and shouldn't be I mean, using them anyway but yeah why are we doing that but uh, do not use yeah unlike something we saw in a magazine not too long ago don't use acetone acetone do not use acetone to clean your I golf mean... balls it's it's a solvent it's effectively paint remover uh yeah just just don't do it you're just gonna yeah a lot of no. times golf balls don't they have like a coating or paint on them and one of this effect clear coat work paint, to yeah, like well, and, remove said covering or a coating we saw like remember when when the and granted kind of a weird example but when wilson launched the raw ball yeah part of the data it sent over was dispersion with balls that have uneven paint spray which happens happens and, so what they showed, right, as if, if I have sketchy paint on my ball, it's going to mm-hmm. increase my dispersion because, you know, to use my favorite phrase, you're introducing some form of aerodynamic disruption to the equation. You do love that and phrase. And so when you, if you were to use acetone, you'd essentially be removing part of the paint. So, <laughs> right. yeah, don't do that. Anyway. Think about it, people. All Next. right. Joggers, as fashion, on the golf course. Oh. Love it or leave it, Tony. Love it or leave it. Wear whatever you want, but you look ridiculous, Connor. Yep. I could care less what other people wear. I don't care. Wear a t-shirt, shorts, jeans. I don't care. Play golf. Have fun. Do whatever you want. But you don't want to see me in in joggers. Nor do we want to see Connor in joggers at all. All right. We had Best of Golf come out. Best of Golf came out this week. We had products, things... We like things that just hey, we want to shout out, give attention to. What was uh, yeah, what stuff, are two of your yeah, favorites? It's just yeah. stuff. It's just stuff that we think is cool and fun and that we like. And some of it is some of it is top performers from our tests, stuff that performs some. well and that we've used and we love. And some of it we're like, yeah, this is just cool or this is real. Like in the case of Kirkland gloves and wedges, like the gloves are really good value. The wedges, not my cup yeah. of tea, but I understand that when you can get three for the price of one relative to the most popular wedges, uh, yeah. wedges on the market, that's a hell of a deal. So cool stuff, stuff we like, stuff we use, sometimes stuff that maybe didn't win most wanted or a buyer's guide, but has like a unique feature that we think is really mm-hmm. uh, cool stuff we like. So, you know, for example, mm-hmm. the Sun Mountain Cube golf travel bag, not the best travel bag on the market, but it folds up to like this big. And so that's right. That's cool. Uh, so that's yes. that's kind of the thinking 
here, I guess, to simplify. Yeah. I when when we were started kind of uh, cultivating this list, I was starting to think about packing for my trip because I'm going to Ireland in a couple weeks. And I was like, hmm. not before you go to Arizona. <laughs> not before no, I I am not going to Ireland before I go to Arizona. <laughs> that is for sure. But packing clothes and those things, shoes, K-J-U-S. The I mean, top to bottom, they're phenomenal, particularly in the You know my best friend Brooke works there. I'll tell her you said hi. Uh, (laughs) It's expensive. Yeah, no doubt. But it's also the best. And sometimes the best things are worth shouting out. And they're they're phenomenal. They have more stuff coming. The other one, it's what we're wearing today, Tony. More Stitch gear. I had a shout out the shirts. I really like the Stitch gear. I, again, it's stretchable. Stretchable. Generously Looks cut nice. if you want it. I'm, I'm working on mood reduction, but until we get there. <laughs> well, and uh, somebody else brought up this point that, hey, if you do really want to do that slim trim, they actually have a, a specific size I, called ML. I like this, I like this oh. too. Kind of like the, the under button. button down. Yeah, it keeps the collar. Keeps from... the keeps the collar from looking like my breakfast bacon, you know? Keeps it nice and... Uh, Got to get that fresh, but they actually Anyway. They actually, they actually have a, sl- a size called ML. So... This is for Adam, for our owner. Those guys, people that want to go straight up medium, and but they have a size specifically for those people. So they should great. call it medium, right? Like they should just... call it medium. But they also have, like I said, XL. I love it. I'm actually wearing the uh, wearing the shorts today too. Uh, quick note for you people: if you do look at stitch shorts or pants and you're in between sizes, don't do what I did and go with your current size. Go up one. Definitely, definitely be generous to yourself. Give yourself just well, a little more room, and uh, you're going to like them even better. Again, we got you guys a discount code if you'd like to use that. It's going to be in the description below from our good friends out there at Stitch. This one, by the way, this this one was my first choice as we're going down looking at, like, hey, what do we like? I saw a pink shirt with a cool print, cool pattern. I'm like, yeah, it's wheelhouse. Thank you. It, I mean, there's nobody on this planet that that says pink shirt with pretty pattern more than Tony Covey. I, I would have to agree with that. Last question. PXG putters came out. Battle ready to Tony. You've played PXG putters in the past and found favor with them. Excited about this launch? I'm intrigued. I wouldn't say excited. I'm intrigued because they put goo excited. in the putter. They've taken Ooh. their their goo the iron and, goo technology. Well, I think it's probably putter specific goo because the needs are a little different. So. Sure. They're goo infused, but but it's the same kinda, idea. Yeah, but they kind of gone from like the the original, really all of their putters since kind of the first series. But the battle ready stuff was was black with silver accents, and the the battle ready two differentiates differentiates itself cosmetically by going silver with accents of black. And and right. I definitely prefer the black, but inverse. Um, but I do I do like the goo, and I I'm also again intrigued. I don't know what it ultimately means. And if you kind of look at it at a cursory level, it's nothing that, that hasn't been done before. Nothing you don't see elsewhere, but PXG now with its own line of putter grips as well. So I think Mm -hmm. four different variations, including a couple of pistol options. Uh, So interesting, intriguing. We'll see, but yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. I've used, I seem to be the oddball. Like I end up with a, with a lot of PXG gear in the bag. You know, I played irons right now. I'm 
playing or testing out the T350s, but, you know, coming off PXG irons, I've used PXG putters and a good bit of that, right? As you know, hybrid's I'm, been in your bag as, as long as any. Yeah, but as, as a bag, huge yeah. proponent of custom fitting, it's very rare that that I play something that hasn't been fit for me, or at least isn't directly sure. in the wheelhouse that I I know is going to be the right fit within a given lineup. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's I tend to gravitate that stuff I've been fit for, and and fortunately, I, I have been fit by PXG more than once. So, yeah, yeah, Makes interesting, sense. interesting. Makes sense. Whew. That's a lot of info, Tony. That is the main show. Find us. Follow us on the interwebs. Golf Spy T. Golf Spy See if you are interested. We're talking ball stuff. Ball testing stuff in the after show. Stick around for that. We'll be back. Corksicle Series A Sport Canteen. That's a Bennett pick. Okay. I was like, what is that? We should do that next year is actually kind of put the name of the staff member who shows it on it. Well, it's not a bad idea. Huh. All right. And just like that, we're back. The after show. Thanks for sticking around. Those of you who are sticking around that want to dive a little deeper into the weeds. We're talking ball test stuff. Like we said, next week we're getting there Sunday. We're getting to work. We are not leaving until Friday or Saturday. And in between then we're doing nothing but testing golf balls. So just to set the stage again, what are we actually testing here, Tony? What is the purpose of this? Massive adventure, taking the majority of our staff, pretty much our whole team, out there for the week. Yeah, we got so we got our video and yeah, video and social team. That's three guys plus four more, split evenly between the two robot locations, and then me going back and forth between Uh uh, making sure everything is running smoothly. So that's I didn't count as I talked, but it seems like a lot. At least eight of us. I think it's eight. Yeah, which is kind of a big deal for us, right? I mean, it's a lot. It's a lot. And what are we actually testing? So what? the performance characteristics of the golf balls in the test. I mean, it's pretty simple, right? So mm-hmm. launch and spin and flight and speed and, and ultimately distance with the caveat of, you know, mm-hmm. under the conditions tested because that sometimes gets left out of, of the conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, mm-hmm. yeah, so we're doing it a little bit differently this year. Still testing three speeds. Three speeds of driver, three speeds of irons, at least one wedge distance as time permits. I'm kind of looking at the timeline and maybe thinking, hmm, we might be able to do one more wedge Mm. test in here. Oh, I Um, was hoping so. So we'll be, uh, for the test, we're actually splitting balls into groups this time. So we will have 10 groups of nine balls. Okay. Along with a constant slash calibration ball that will be tested within each group. And that's going to allow us to make better comparisons as we sort of work around the reality that conditions will change throughout the day. So mm-hmm. testing groups within a narrower winder, 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 within a winder. narrower winder, narrow winder. narrower window <laughs> uh, should give us kind of more insightful data. We have, I've confirmed we have weather stations in both locations, so we'll be able to monitor wind. And if it starts to creep up, we'll shut it down for a little while. Uh-huh. So it's it's going to be both robust in terms of the number of, of balls we test as well as our approach to actually running the test. Yeah, and so, you know, again, 
drivers, irons. We're going to be able to make some not too difficult leaps on other clubs, right? As we can, you know, when we see how the ball performs in these different situations, we should be able to walk away with a much better understanding of how a ball performs potentially for a certain player in different conditions, right? And kind of get an idea of what impacts ball performance. We've seen crazy things before. Um, I guess for consumers, people that are watching it, looking at it, whatever, what do you think they're going to walk away with or what information are we going to walk away with that should be impactful for them? Well, we hope to be able to, to help them find the ball that, that will perform best for them. If, if, especially if they're willing to invest a little on course time after they, they look at the test, cause they're going to know what they play. Mm-hmm. And hopefully they're only playing one, maybe two different balls. And to be able to look at this ball and go, whatever they're playing, go, I like this, but I wish it did. Maybe I wish it spun more, or I wish it was a little faster off a driver or spun less off a driver, whatever, whatever the improvement they're looking for happens to be. And then kind of take our data and, mm-hmm. and find the ball that may deliver that for them. So that mm-hmm. that's my big goal is to, to help golfers find a better ball for them. And, Along the way, you know, kind of understand just the the general performance characteristics of the ball. So, what is, what are the truly low spinning balls on the market right now? What are what are the high spin ones that kind of fall into that niche category of like, yeah, this is this is uh, treading dangerously towards too much spin. Those type of things. So, you know, it's, it's pretty much lock and load, fire away, and and see what we end up with. Yeah, you know, and, and again, we we talk about this to her. We have ball performance testing, and then we have obviously the ball lab. Ball lab looks at consistency of manufacturing. It's not going to tell you which ball you should play. Ball performance testing, which we're doing next week, that can go a long ways in in terms of determining what ball might be a best fit for you. And then we can meld those two, right, and say, okay, you know, we have performance, we have consistency of manufacturing, and now we have this big ongoing ecosystem of golf ball information, basically. So given that, I mean, and and really you started this a number of years ago, what are you most excited about this year in the test? And what do you think's changed the most? Like, because I've never been on site for this, so it'll be new for me. You've obviously been on site, developed Ball Lab from the very, very beginning and seen this entire progression. So what are some of the major changes you've seen along the way? And what are you most excited about this year as opposed to previous years? So, yeah, I think I'd like to think quality is improved and, and certainly like it's it's no secret that coming out of our first ball test, we, we found very clear issues with the, the Callaway Chrome Soft in particular. I mean, to and again, I've said this before, I wish this is one of those things that that everybody could see to kind of fully understand because we go, oh, yeah, what does it really matter if a core is a little off center or, you know, mm-hmm. I'm never going to I'm not good enough to notice that. And right. I get that, right? Because there is some sort of like, well, I, maybe it didn't, I didn't hit it as well as I thought. But when you see a robot that is just hit a couple hundred golf balls, more or less right down the middle, and all of a sudden one duck hooks and is 60 yards offline, and you go back and look, you go, all right, everything looks good on the robot, delivery numbers look good, and the next ball you hit flies dead center, like you know that that was the ball. And to see that, to see that in person and see that kind of impact from some sort of defect. And that that is probably the most severe example. But sure. I will tell you that when you are sitting behind a robot, and I know you will see this next week, 
you will start to see and, and even just kind of slowly be able to differentiate when a ball flies offline because mm -hmm. of something in the ball versus a little bit of wind. Like you see it enough times, it looks different. It mm -hmm. presents differently. I promise Trajectory. you being there, yeah. you will know, you know, by, by the second day, you will absolutely know what is, what is weather and, and what is defect. And so to yeah. kind of see when, a, when you've got a, a, a distribution of balls that's, you know, for example, this wide, and then all of a sudden you have one land over here. And you're like, uh -huh. so it's, that's the kind of thing that that's almost fun. That makes it interesting, but that's the kind of breaks up the monotony of, you know, ball on <laughs> tee, there it goes, ball on tee, there it goes. Yeah. Um, so those, those holy shit kind of moments are, are kind of what we live for. And ideally, right. Every golf ball would be perfect, but uh, sure. knowing I mean, that they're not, it. it's, it's kind of cool <laughs> sometimes to see. Uh, but other than that, again, it's like trying to build those those relative relationships to go. All right, how, what is what is really the difference between a Pro V1 and a Pro V1X in in terms of ball flight? What can I really expect? Mm -hmm. Or I think one of the things we're going to do this year is is when we start publishing stuff, it'll be largely for social, but we'll have graphics where we we break down the Shrixon urethane lineup, and we can show right. you how those balls directly compare to each other. Because if you look at, do I have one? I do have a Shrixon box here. I'm not singling out Shrixon. They're no different than anybody else in this respect. But, you know, like the back of a box looks kind of like that, right? Where it's high, higher, mm -hmm. low, meat. Like what, is, what does that what does really that mean? mean? Yeah, let's, sure. let's find out. What, what, what are those real numbers? Uh, so that's, that's the kind of thing we're looking for. And again, this is, this is going to be a big, big test for us. A lot of data. And no two doubt locations. Have... Yeah. Two locations, two different teams. We're going to be doing some on-site commentary, hopefully and getting you some content and information as we go, answering some questions. Feel free to post things here as well. Um, one question we get to, and I know we've kind of dug into this a little bit as well. Is, so we're, we're looking at all this stuff from a performance lens, right? Our, our lens is we want to understand how different golf balls perform, what they do in response to different swings, etc. But a lot of balls that people buy that are very popular that people buy, we're not going to test. We're not. Why not, Tony? I thought, yeah. I mean, why, why not? Why not? Look, there, there are, there are two basic categories of golf balls and we can spin any other way you want, but it's, it's performance and preference. Those are your two categories. Mm -hmm. And invariably a performance golf ball has a urethane cover. It doesn't have a urethane cover. It exists for a preference. I mean, there's a reason why nobody on tour plays an ionomer ball, and it's it's not simply because they can't make them higher compression. They absolutely could, right? You could make right. a a an ionomer ball hold up to tour speed, but you're not going to get the sure. greenside spin uh, primarily, um, and that that's the biggest difference. But again, you know, fundamentally, performance versus preference. This is a performance test. Now that being said, I know there's some curiosity, and so we do have. We put a couple of the more popular ionomer options in there. Like we're testing super soft this year. We have the Wilson duo in the mix here. And, and part of that is because, okay. yeah, a lot of guys buy these. And part of it is this will be the like we've done in previous tests. Our lowest compression balls were probably in, in the urethane space. A low 65 to 70 is low compression. With, okay. with super soft, you're going to be down in the 40s. Uh, on some, so we're going to be able to really see, like, yeah, difference. what is what is the difference from you know, call it a hundred compression golf ball, something like a left dash tour to BX, forty, 
to 40. So that, <laughs> yeah. that's a curiosity. But for the people yeah. who are asking, well, you know, I, I am interested in the quality aspect for sure, right? Because we don't test a lot of ionomer and ball level lab. What I will tell you is right. like we have learned that the quality is largely a factory level thing. And so if you're right. insisting on, on trying to save money and, and buy a preference ball, for whatever your preference mm -hmm. is, I'm going to tell you, you probably should start with Titleist because our data has shown that a Titleist ionomer ball, which is produced by a Titleist in a Titleist factory in Massachusetts, is going to be, it's going to have quality that at least is in the average range relative to the market as, as a whole, including all of the, the urethane options we test. For the most mm -hmm. part, the ionomer tough stuff that we test tends to fall below that average. And again, as we've, we talked about what, a week or two ago, golf ball quality is largely a factory thing. And the factories right. that produce the ionomer balls, um, Launch Tech, uh, GTS, to name yep. just a couple, they, the track record Ten. in Ball Lab is not as good as it is with the best urethane factories. Again, Titleist, it just foremost to an extent, right? right? It just, just Callaway, isn't. We've, we've talked <laughs> about Callaway's Massachusetts plant and how that is improving. Mm -hmm. Right. Chicopee yep. is on yep. the rise, right? Chicopee is moving on yep. up and it's not just because they have a Chick-fil-A there. No, but does help though. Does the help. ionomer stuff, which has not tested well for us is made overseas. It's not made there. So right. it's, it's not there, made there. There isn't. And again, it's one thing to predict it and another to prove it, but I can tell you with a high degree of confidence that that's what we're going to get because that's all we've gotten to date from the factories making these balls. Yeah. And what I'm excited about with that is data don't lie. I mean, it, it's going to be whatever it is. These are robots that are programmed. We have professional engineers with us that are overseeing it, setting all the conditions, et cetera. Well, yeah. And to be clear, like, so we, it's, you know, we <laughs> it just, at, it just is going to be whatever it is, you know? And we looked, you know, we kind of went back and I kind of liked where we were last year with the numbers we hit with low speed and mid speed. Looking back, you mm -hmm. know, we, we got a little higher than we wanted to be, both in terms of launch and spin with the, with the high speed portion. And so we've, you know, we've done our due diligence. We kind of recognized it. We went back. We, we've talked to, I mean, I've got, I, I reached out to, I think six or seven people in the ball industry I kind of explained every step of the way what we're doing. Uh, we got direct feedback from, I think six of them to kind of, Hey, check our work and make sure that this approach is logical. Yeah. And so we have, we've tweaked our launch and spin parameters, both with the driver. Again, we're pretty close to where we were mid and mid and low speed driver. Mm -hmm. Going to decrease launch and spin at high speed, uh, looking to increase spin across the board in our iron tests. Yep. Again, based on looking at 115 is basically tour speed and trying, we're not trying to match tour exactly, but close. 100 miles yes. an hour trying yeah. to get close to LPGA conditions. And then at 85, it's like, hey, what are what are guys in this range? What are the most typical launch conditions? Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's kind of where we've dialed in our, our calibration slash constant ball for this test. Yeah, and two things I want to point out about that too is, yes, number one, we're constantly in conversation with the ball manufacturer, right? And these are the major manufacturers within the industry. So they have input in our test. Doesn't mean they decide. They have input. They have a voice, not a vote necessarily. I mean, ultimately, we determine how we want to test what it is. But we do that under the guise of wanting to make sure that we are working with companies, taking their feedback, adjusting our test as we see fit. And then secondarily, understand, okay, at the points that we do test, so call it 8,500, where we can now make some linear, well, there's a linear relationship, right? So if someone is 92 and like, oh, you didn't test 92, 
well, here's connect the, the dots, man. It's yeah, and here's that's, the good that's news. It's halfway that, like. in between eighty-five and hundred, and then in one fifteen. So we're gonna go. We're gonna connect the dots. So we're gonna have meaningful data for all swing speeds, even though we only test at certain. Yeah, that, that's kind of interesting, right? So it's it's one of the disconnects between readers and and industry experts and the R and D guys. So you know, we're testing at three speeds and. And that's because, you know, originally, I think our first test, we did 85 and 115, and we got a lot of noise about, well, what about 100? And we're like, well, right, right, right. 100 is, we should probably have that just to make it easier, easy on the eyes, ultimately. But it's know, a to a man, yeah. to a man, and this is, you know, a, hand, a literal handful of companies we've had this conversation with, they've said, you really only need to test at two speeds. Because mm-hmm. that basically gives you whether you want to call it true endpoints here and here or yep. somewhere in the middle. And just draw a line and, and yep. that's going to get you, you know, as speed increases, guess what? Launch height spin, that's going to increase along that same In line. A linear Likewise, fashion, as spin really. so, gets, yeah. as speed gets lower, guess what? Those things are still going to drop along that same line. So yep. uh, everybody has thing- told us that that's good enough. And so that's, you know, we're, we're doing three speeds anyway, because we know you guys, a hundred is kind of right in the, the wheelhouse for a lot of our readers, but if, if yeah. you are that 80 mile an hour guy or that 93 mile an hour guy, yeah, I mean, pick your spot my on last, the line. My last point and, and part of the reason I'm excited about this test is, again, I haven't been out there, so to get to see it firsthand is every golf ball has dimples and dimples matter. Aerodynamics matters. why you can't test golf balls indoors because lift and drag, the friction, resistance, all these things that aerodynamicists know about that I do not know nearly as much about. The matter. reverse Magnus effect. <laughs> that's one of my favorites in terms of all reverse effects. That's top five. And Magnus is yeah, definitely up there. But you got to see it outside. You can't. You cannot really assess true trajectory and flight behavior unless the ball is actually interacting in that environment over its the entire duration of its flight. So that's part of what I'm really, really excited to see is actually in that environment where you have to test golf ball performance is outside in those situations. And, and you will see just, you know, again, same configuration, right? The robot, we're not changing the robot per golf ball and you're no. going to see balls that, that fly visibly higher and others that, that fly visibly lower. And you'll see ones that seem to hang in the air and others that just uh-huh. seem to go, go right through it and you will see some that seem to just get confused and wander off a little sideways <laughs> yeah like you know <laughs> and on that note leave us questions like i said ball test next week you'll have questions we'll do our best to answer a lot of them um and uh and get you some information when we're out there it's gonna be hot tony bring your suntan lotion bring plenty of water water Stay bottles hydrated. travel with a lot water of water bottles, bottles. Stay hydrated, people. And until next time, we out.